This Week in Startups is brought to you by Walker Corporate Law, a boutique law firm specializing in the representation of entrepreneurs. Visit them at walkercorporatelaw.com. LinkedIn, a business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. And Tonal, get a full body workout with hundreds of moves and 200 pounds of resistance without ever leaving your house. Visit Tonal.com to learn more and use promo code TWIST to get $100 off Tonal's smart accessories. That's T-O-N-A-L.com and use promo code TWIST. Apply for the next Launch Accelerator cohort. Applications are due December 23rd. Learn more and apply at launchaccelerator.co. All right, everybody, welcome to a very special episode of This Week in Startups. I'm really excited about our next guest. He was a VP of sales at a company called Groove about 15, 20 years ago. And then he created uh, what is one of the most successful startups to ever come out of Boston uh, and the New England area. That company, of course, is HubSpot, and they handle inbound marketing. I met him and his partner, I don't know, 12 years ago, and they started HubSpot just 13 years ago when they were just getting started. And it's been an incredible journey from really pre the whole cloud era you guys started. And now, how many employees do you have? I don't know. 3,000-ish. Oh, my Lord. Yes. How have things changed for you from those early days, a dozen of you, you know, building out the product and selling it to 3,000? What have you had to do as a as a founder and CEO to kind of level up? Because you've never run anything this big. No. This is a first-time experience for Not you. Not even close. Yeah. Uh, I would say one of my great strengths is I like to make the decisions and be in control and all that kind of stuff. And my greatest strength turns into your greatest weakness as you scale up that desire to be in control and to manage tightly and things like that. So one of the many things that have had to evolve is my uh, predilection for being in control and making all the decisions. You have to really hire well and delegate. It's really a boring old saw, but it, it's absolutely true. And I think this is the case for so many founders where the real strength that got you going and got the early customers and got you to product market fit and all that good stuff really flips on you once you get north of, let's say, 100 employees. And a big part of that is in the early stages, you're really setting the framework of the company, the company as a product, the culture, the infrastructure. And you need to make those decisions as the founders. It's critical for you to make them, and it's your job to make them because you're going to be limited in resources. You're only going to be able to hire a certain caliber of person. And then as you get bigger, well, then the opportunity presents itself for really people who've done this before, people who've had 100 or 200 people report into them. So you have to change your entire personality. Your entire mode of operating goes from being details to big picture. I don't think you change your personality, but you definitely change the way you manage and handle people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm still the same quirky person I was uh, prior to starting HubSpot. Yeah. You bought Jerry Garcia's guitar. I, I got to get that out of the way. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite song to play on it? We got a little ripple? 
Uh, Ripple is a good uh, acoustic uh, guitar song. Uh, I like to play that. I'm not a very good guitar player. I'm terrible. Um, but I, I can play Ripple. I have a for that. Musician. Have you seen Musician? It's really good. You are a musician? Of course I am. I oh my love God, musician. we got to become friends on Musician. we got to <laughs> level musician. up. I just had the founder on. I love that app. That's Do you know app. that they raised like almost no money? It it's took a killer them app. Three or four products to get it out there. It's it's impressive. It's like the third or ver. It's like I think it was the third product they released. <laughs> really? Yeah, they had two other ones. The original one was going to be like teach kids. Uh, it was like sort of like Guitar Hero, and yeah, 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 you know, yeah. teach kids. And then they realized, well, screw it, just everybody just wants to. Learn and they do piano guitar. and all the other stuff too. And singing now and yeah. everything. That's awesome. So there's hope for us. Yes. But you made a there's big... not much hope for me on this on this front. I, not a lot of hope. But you own... I have very little talent. You own Wolf. I own Wolf. Jerry Garcia. How many dead shows have you been to in your life? I lost count, but it's well over 100. Really? Yeah. I've been to like 10. I used to go to the giant stadium ones. Yep. I don't know if you remember those, because you do. were in the Northeast. Total shit show. It was the shit show <laughs> of fucking shit show. You would... Because what would happen is they would play, what, 10 nights at the at giant stadium? Not 10, but Five, yeah, they would play six. a bunch. Yep. It was at least a week. Yes. <laughs> and describe for people listening what in 1984-85 Giant Stadium's the Meadowlands parking lot looked like by the third show. Yeah, it it was like it was like Mogadishu. <laughs> it was basically like Mogadishu. Somewhere between Woodstock and Mogadishu. Yes. It was like a war zone. It was. People were living in the Meadowlands. Oh yeah. In their tents, in their in, in their tents, VWs, VWs. Because oh, yeah. this is the time where people toured with the dead. They still do, by the way. Idiots like me still do. I'm going to New York for Halloween the day after Halloween next week to see Dead and Co. Now, Dead and Co. Yes, Phil Esh. Yes. Uh, no, not Phil Esh actually. Oh, Phil's not in it. No, it's uh, it's uh, what's it, the lineup? It's it's uh, John Mayer is the John Mayer. I saw John Mayer with them, and it was amazing. He's very good. I mean, when he first when it first came out, with John Mayer was going to play with Dead, everyone was the Dead community was not enthusiastic. But the guy has real chops. He is a hell he's of a got musician. heart. It feels like he's a the terrific, Dead he's, on speed. He's I told really somebody good. like it just brings the whole thing up. Yes, like on. speed. It's like they're on speed. They're going like 30% faster. And when they do like space and stuff like that or solos, it's like John Mayer was born to be in the dead. <laughs> totally. <laughs> he was born to be in the dead. He's impressed. Plus, he's young and he's energetic yes. and he's giant. People don't know he's 6'5 and he bounces around on stage and there's he's all these old so Grateful Dead into members. It. Are kind of slow. And so he just brings an energy to it that I like. Some deadheads really don't like it. I love it. It's amazing. Did you know that HubSpot was kind of inspired by the Grateful Dead. Let's go. How so? Okay. Here we go. So So wait, does this include the brown acid? No. It's okay. got nothing to do with Not the brown with, acid. Uh, don't take the brown acid. It's got nothing to do with drug use at all. Because that's what Elizabeth Holmes took and then she had the idea for Theranos. So just don't <laughs> it has take nothing to do with any drug. This is a... Adam took the brown acid, came up with We Work, you took <laughs> got nothing to do with nothing that. to do with acid. No. Okay, great. Uh let me just ask you a question. Go ahead. Let's say it was nineteen eighty four. Correct. And you wanted to go to a Rolling Stones concert, uh, and you walked into that Rolling Stones concert, and you brought your recording equipment with you. What right. happened at the door, Jason? You were arrested. We, you were turned away. Absolutely. They were like, you are out of your mind. You're crazy. This is RIP. Don't even think about it. Not a chance. What would happen if you would show up at a Grateful Dead concert with all your equipment? They would take you to the special section closest to the stage and the soundboard so you could get a crystal clear recording so it was preserved forever and everybody in the community could remix and share it. 
Okay. So you leave the concert and then you go from Boston, you go to Giant Stadium, then you go to Philly and you record RFK Stadium. Yep. You record 20 shows and then you get back to your dorm room. Which of those shows did you make copies of and hand out? Hmm. Which of the shows? All of them? The best or the worst? Oh, the best. Of course, the best. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So you take the best one and then you're at a you're at a you're tape at a, trader. You no, you're at a you're at a frat party and somebody pops it in, you're listening to it, and the person next to you says, What is this crazy gypsy music? And you say, Well, this is the Grateful Dead. And they right. say, How do I get some of that? So, well, come with me on tour. They're coming yeah. this summer, it's gonna be great. The Grateful Dead were the first true inbound marketers, content marketers that gave their content away, encouraged people to wow. spread it, and pulled in new wow. customers through it. You didn't know wow. this about no, the No, of HubSpot? course I knew it, yes. I, but I but never, never made the connection to the HubSpot. I yep. know you wrote the book on debt and yep. marketing, but uh, wow, like what an amazing, when you think about it, and the dead's purpose for doing that was what? Okay, so what's the other thing- Do you know the story of how they decided yes. to let this happen? So- let me just ask you another question. Yeah. In 1984, you're going to Rolling Stones concert in Boston and then RFK and a giant stadium. Or, and you the went Garden, to whatever. What's the difference between those concerts? Oh, my God. Well, they, they changed the sets, right? But, yeah, they changed the sets. But Actually, no. Rolling no? Stones? Oh, the ro- oh, sorry. Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, it's thing. the same. It's the same right. set list. Maybe they changed the encore. But generally Maybe. speaking, same set list. They get it perfect. It's perfect. wrote. It's right. It's wrote. In the Grateful Dead. Yes. It was the exact opposite. They played a unique set in a unique yes. way yes. every night, which I thought was was really quite clever. Now, Jerry Garcia had a Wait, couple- how does that relate to the HubSpot oh, and startups? I, I forgot. Yeah. The, the, and and the, the reason they let people uh, copy the concerts is like, well, we're done with that. We did it once. It can ah. be out there in the ether. Hmm. That's their IP. They can kind of own it. And they just got very good at that model. And they didn't do it as some sort of brilliant marketing strategy. They did it. Just because they thought it was a good idea and the right thing to do. Now, they did a couple other brilliant things uh, when it comes to marketing. Jerry Garcia says something that I think is is very apt in today's day and age of uh, politics and the internet. He said, Grateful Dead music, it's like black licorice. 10% of the world loves black ric- licorice. 90% hates it. Yeah. We're like that black licorice. Either people love it or they don't. And the internet's kind of like that. The yeah. internet likes the polarization. Of course. Uh, another thing that's interesting about the Grateful Dead, we were supposed to do a HubSpot one, but this is more interesting. Much more interesting. Let's go. Um, <laughs> go. SaaS software or the dead? I mean, come on. What's more interesting than the Fine. dead? Come Fine. On. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's just say, Jason, yeah. you were going to a Rolling Stones concert in 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh you would purchase your tickets, I assume, like most people, through Ticketmaster. Yeah, you go to Ticketmaster, you wait in line on a Saturday morning, uh, and the scalpers would open the doors five minutes late. They'd open the door at 6.07 after the scalpers had taken the first five or six minutes of tickets. I know this yep. racket in Brooklyn because I knew the guys who were running the machines. And who got all the best tickets? The scalpers. Of course they did. Yeah. Um, and so once the Rolling Stones went to concert, vision. who made all the money? Well, Ticketmaster made their chunk, and the scalpers made their chunk. Yeah, and you know who got screwed? The, the real band. fans. In the, in the real and fans in the band, yes. Yeah. And so- The people actually at the concert got screwed. The people you know, who couldn't be bothered to go to the concert took right. the money. The other problem the Grateful Dead had with that model is it was all folks like venture capitalists and angel investors in the yeah. front rows. Yeah, who didn't it, dance. 
who it weren't that rabid squares. fans. It wasn't the rabid fans. They the Grateful Dead didn't like that. So when you wanted to buy tickets from the Grateful Dead, this is very relevant today, yes. the internet and all your guests, Yes, is they created their own ticketing agency. Yep. So the way you would get tickets from the Grateful Dead is you call 415, and I forgot the number, but I used to have it memorized, and they would tell you the, the list of shows coming up. And the way you get the tickets was really interesting. You had to go to the post office, get a postal money order. Yep. Ugh. Then you had to have a three-by-five uh, index, index card. card. yep. And you could put the number of tickets you want, but not more than four right. to a concert. And then you mailed that in. Yep. How do you think they decided who got the best seats? I don't know. Is it lottery? No. No. They wanted their best fans in the front row. How the might people, they determine oh, that? Oh, the, how frequently you gone? If no, they had gone before? They didn't have like databases. Got to have databases. Then. What they did have, though, is you had to send them a self-addressed stamped envelope. Ah. And on that envelope, if you were really... Crazy Creative. fan, you would draw, draw the bear, bears, yes. mush, you name it on yeah, there, of course. glitter, and so the best for a miracle, the best seats went to the people who were the best Grateful Dead artists. <laughs> oh my god, it's so great! It's so genius. It is. They it's cut genius. out the middleman. It's the story right. of the internet, and you had a really interesting proxy for what was. The person's level of passion for yes, the product. Correct. Which is, yeah, you want to reward those people, not the people who have the Amex black card. It's everything that's wrong with society today. The dead understood, like, yeah, and I'd predicted. Agree. I'd agree. <laughs> it, it was, it's everybody at a dead show is equal. Mm-hmm. And everybody's in it together. So when you go to a dead show, you see everybody walking around with a finger in the air. Yep. <laughs> walking around with their finger in the air. Now, this is not. Like, I need drugs, or I'm number one. It's, I need a miracle. And I need a miracle means? I want a free ticket. <laughs> I need a free ticket. I am, like, not able to afford to go to the show. Can anybody help Hook me, me up? Hook me up yep. with a free ticket. Yep. And it worked. It, it worked. Turns out they were they were early, early viral marketers, early uh, content marketers. They were, they were the, the template for inbound marketing. Walker Corporate Law is a boutique law firm specializing in the representation of entrepreneurs and startups, and they encourage fixed fees. They believe that billable hours reward inefficiency, so they will tell you what you're going to spend for each of the things you need to get done with your legal team for your startup. Whether that's things like your terms of service, licensing agreements, mergers and acquisitions, whatever it is, you're raising money, you know how to do this, IP assignments, all this important stuff are going to be done by lawyers with decades of experience. You're not going to get an associate who is learning on the job and your startup is their grand experiment. No, Walker Corporate Law only uses people with decades of experience. And if you want to call the founder himself, Scott Ed Walker, call him at 415-979-9998, 9998. And you can email Scott at scott at walkercorporatelaw.com. He's been the longest running advertiser and partner here on This Week in Startups, for which I thank him. You can visit them at walkercorporatelaw.com. Thanks again, Scott, for partnering with us and supporting This Week in Startups all these years. It means a lot to me. 415-979-9998 or email scott, scott at walkercorporatelaw.com. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. They really figured it out. And so... Was that the first idea for for HubSpot was just trying to solve that email problem? When you and Darmesh, how did you and Darmesh meet? I never actually asked you Okay, that. I'll tell you the story how we met. Yeah. So we were both going to- You were a sales guy who was a square. Yes. Yeah, we were both going to Sloan together. 
<laughs> who was going to dead shows on the weekend. Yeah. So your sales job at Groove Networks, Ray Ozzy's company. Yep. The guy who created those notes. And so I was. I, so we both went to Sloan. And MIT Business School. And just before classes started, they had a cocktail party. And I remember I was at the cocktail party. I was on my my second beer, and. Uh, this bomb woman comes up to me and says, starts kind of asking me questions, like a lot of questions, like this, like an interview. Yeah, yeah, like an interview. And you're like, what's up? And I assumed she was a classmate, Kirsten. She's wonderful. And she walked away. And it turns out what was going on at that moment, it was an interview. Huh. See, Darmesh, when he goes to a cocktail party, he prefers hiding behind the plant. And then what he does is he sends his wife out to interview oh. everyone in the room. And I was one of the interviewees. You know what the scouting report on me was? Uh, this guy's really stoned. He just got back from a dead <laughs> no, shout. No. no. Okay. What is it? <laughs> it was basically, you'll never like him. He's a sales guy. Oh, He's into the, the Grateful Dead. He's Kiss into the Red Sox. You'll have nothing in common. See, I would have a problem with that because it was like, well, you're a Red Sox fan. So I would want to meet you just to say Red Sox suck. Uh, go Yankees. But, <laughs> but that's like a Yankees Red Sox thing. But the dad, I would want to meet you. Then sales guy, I'd want to run. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. Couldn't spell dead. He didn't know what the Red Sox. I mean, he's That'd just not so, him. Did you ever take Darmesh to a dead and co show? <laughs> he wouldn't want to go. Oh my god, we should he totally take him. That's how we met. That's how we met. Wow. You want to? Know, I'll tell you how the 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 HubSpot dots connected. Yes. Uh, about six months in, we did start getting to know each other and and really liking each other, and there were two dots that connected. One was my dot. One was his dot. I was doing a. A little gig at a venture capital firm, tiny little venture capital firm in Boston. And they wanted me to work with the founders and the marketers and the sellers. How the heck do you build a company in today's day and age? And I would ask them, you know, what's your playbook? And they all would buy a list and they would cold call. They would buy a list and spam people to do the big trade show. They'd hire mm. the PR firm, lots of advertising. And none of it seemed to work. Like mm. people had caller ID. People had spam protection. People had ad blocker. People had DVRs. Like the world seemed to be shifting. So I'm kind of wallowing in misery with my wealthy venture cap, capital based uh, startups. And Darmesh, <laughs> he started blogging his way through Sloan. And every time he heard an interesting class or anything, he'd write a blog article about it. He had a thousand times more interest in his little crappy on startups blog than any of my wealthy venture backers. People firms. forget your co founder, Darmesh, had on startups yep. a blog. And this is where writing is so important. I think one of the most important things you can do in this world mm -hmm. is be a good writer. I do too. And so we, we were juxtaposing it. And the way we started describing the world was all these, all these businesses, they were doing what we started calling outbound interruption-based marketing. And Annoying-based marketing. Yes. And what Darmesh was doing was we started going inbound, matching the way he marketed with the way humans actually shop and live and buy and make decisions, mostly through getting good at SEO and good at very early social media marketing and getting good at connecting with other bloggers. And so that was... That's how I met Dermesh. We started linking to each other's blogs. I'm not blogs. surprised at all. That was and it. That was, the, that was the kernel. We said, oh, inbound's the way to go. And then we tried to implement inbound and we had to put in a new CMS. We had to put in a blog, SEO consulting, social media consultants. We had to put in CRM, web analytics. It just got really complicated. And so HubSpot became this platform to enable marketers to move from that old school outbound to the new school inbound. That's the dots that connected. That is so amazing. Hey, I want to just go back in time uh, and talk about Ray Ozzy and Groove. I think it was called Groove Networks originally. It was. It was, right? And yep. then they just called it Groove afterwards? What no, was, it's always Groove Networks. Groove Networks. And Ray Ozzy had started uh, Lotus Notes. 
which Lotus bought notes, then IBM bought notes, but it was the first notes. He was kind of this genius who created this kind of workflow software. But you met him at Groove Networks. Yes. Explain he was my boss. to me what yeah, Groove Networks was, when you joined it, and what was magical about that company? Because I don't think Rayazi it's kind of like yourself gets much credit in the overall startup conversation. Like there's not a lot of interviews with Ray Ozzy or you on the internet. That's why I was so excited to have you on. Okay. What was so, Ray Ozzy like? What did you learn from him? Oh, so for people who haven't heard yeah. of Ray Ozzy, he's the father of Lotus Notes, which a mm. hundred years ago was a really big deal. And yes. a lot of your listeners probably don't even, uh, haven't heard of it. Um, why was it a big deal? Well, it was the, why was it mind blowing? It was the, it was, first of all, it was email. Really, before there was email, right? That was kind of a big deal back then. And then it was these. It think of Airtable version one, like yes. you know, very lightweight, easy to use database apps that mere mortals could build. And this was very early in in the era. No one else was doing that kind of thing. And he made it easy for mere mortals to create these little databases and these little workflow apps. Hmm. That uh, back in the 1990s was a really big deal. It was a really big deal. And I was at loaded. I was at Sony at the time. And the first thing I did ever building a product, really, with software was, one of the first things, was I built uh, a little gateway that went to LexisNexis, searched Nexus for Sony, Mickey Schulhoff, Tommy Mottola, Barry Wine, a bunch of different executives, and then structured the data from Nexus. I imported it into Jason's news database in Lotus yep. Notes, and then I sent invites and alerts to Mickey Schulhoff and those other people who were on Lotus Notes every time a news story came in that mentioned their name. I got it. <laughs> This is before Google existed. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's 1994. Yep. They went crazy. I and bet. then I could see how long they spent inside of it. And I guess I, I can I say that? Okay. Well, I'll just say random executives were spending hours a day reading about <laughs> themselves and reading about Sony in the news. That's because awesome. Nexus was also global. And it was this database of global news before Google existed or Google News did. Yep. So then he created a second company called Groove. Yep. Which was a big deal. This is what, 99 to 2000 timeframe? 2001, do you yeah, remember? Yeah, 2001, 2000, 2001. Really the most difficult moment to ever create a company yeah. in. Yep. Explain that moment in time to startups now since this is 20 years later and we're old. We are old. The crash of 1999 and 2000 was rough. And he basically start, He built a big, big, uh, you know, raised a lot of money in the in the. Depth. If we thought 2008 was deep, it was really deep in tech back then. Yeah. And it deserved to be. It was a ridiculous time prior to that. Um, yeah. But he started at a really hard time. And what it did, he's the thing about Ray Ozzy that I learned from him is he, he considers himself a technologist crossed with an anthropologist. That's the way he described himself. And from the anthropology perspective, he watched how people spoke with each other, how they spoke on the phone, how they acted in meetings. Like he just was observer of collaboration he has phd mm. in this kind of thing and then what do you want what do you want what he wanted to do was predict where the future of technology was going and build software to help people do it better amazing it's very simple and that idea lives in hubspot we basically are obsessed with how humans decide stuff how do you buy something right. how do you go through that decision process and we obsess over it and then we try to build software to help companies deal yeah. with that and leverage it so there's a lot of ray inside of HubSpot, huge influence on us. When, and that was part of the observation was this anthropological, you have salespeople who are designed to interrupt people yep. by calling them on the phone, the worst experience ever. Because yep. back then caller ID didn't exist. Yep. Yet you answered your phone and somebody was like, hey, can I interest you in this? Yep. And that's what you had to do in that job, dial for dollars? 
so Reazi was was visionary. One of the things that was good about Ray is he could very easily predict the future, mm. but sometimes he predicted the future a little too far out. Ah, that's a leak in the game. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think with Notes, he hit it just right, and he had the he had the Lotus platform behind him. We didn't quite have that. He had me, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was much. Hey, everybody, uh, check this out. <laughs> uh, where he was also ahead of, so he basically built something that's a little bit like Dropbox meets Trello meets Slack, a really early version of that. And it was on a peer-to-peer complicated architecture. And I think it was just ahead of its time. It was really cool. It was ahead of its time. It was a very cool thing because I remember you would download this application and, and your we, application would connect to each other. Yes. So cool. you didn't need to exactly have a server. Yeah. Uh, my version of Groove Networks would connect to yours. I would have all my files in it. I would be able to chat with you. I would be able to create workflow. Yep. And, and, it would, really... and would stay in sync, uh, whether you were online or offline. I had a little server that would make sure it would stay in sync. That is incredible. It was cool technology. about how cool it was. Yep. But being too far ahead. It can be problematic. He was a little far ahead, I think, than that. Another area he was ahead of his time is we were a freemium model. That wasn't my idea. That was his idea. And there wasn't a lot known about how to pull a freemium model The word model freemium off. didn't exist, Didn't right? exist. And they he, called it try before you buy? It was it, no, it software? was true. It was it was a free version, right. and he was smart. He wanted to get a viral adoption of the thing. It's the same game that Dropbox plays today, and yeah. Slack plays. And he was also way ahead of, of his time there. And I think the guy is a genius, and not only a genius, but like, oh my god, one of the nicest humans with the biggest hearts you'll I ever. Know. We come have across. to get Ray Ozzy on the pod. Uh, he's one harder. And he had a big influence on me personally, on my career, uh, and I just How learned so, so much. I just learned his method of how to observe behavior, mm. how to build software. I learned how to think about innovation in a whole new way. Yeah. Um, and he re- and it, it wasn't so much – I just observed him. And yeah. I, I'll tell you another thing I learned about – about he was a big-time introvert. He was. Big-time. And Darmesh is a big-time introvert. Right. And those two actually have a lot in common. So it prepared me very well to partner with – Someone who also I think is brilliant in Darmesh and also quite introverted. Yeah. How do you, as somebody who's clearly extroverted and- I fake it. You fake it? Yeah. Oh, you're actually an introvert on the Myers-Briggs? Yes. How does an introvert learn to fake it? You just muscle through it. Like Uh, I got fired up for today's interview. I actually have a podcast after this will be fired up. And then I've got in my my calendar like cool down for an hour or so and then have dinner with a bunch of people tonight. Because I will be zonked after two podcasts. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So every time you're talking, that is draining the battery. Yep. And for me, I was like, I was 86% or 100% of my Myers-Briggs. Yep. Extrovert. Yep. Like right now, I'm plugged into like a 45-watt charger, 60-watt charger. Like (laughs) after our interview, I'm already like, oh my God, I got to do this. Oh my God, I got to do that. Oh my God, I got to talk to this founder. It's like my battery is going up. Yeah, my battery is going down. I'm enjoying the conversation, so it's not going down quickly. But Right. So Darmesh is even uh, more introverted. I know him. Yes, much more. He needs time to think. Yep, time by himself. Time by himself. Yes. And... The hardest times, I think, for Darmesh were when we do like the IPO Roadshow or doing a fundraising up and down Sand Hill Road for three or four days or just constant people meetings. And I think we learned to deal with each other just like, well, we need to build in some time for downtime and like, oh, it's time of dinner and I just go back to our rooms and and check email. It's fine. It's worked out great. The problem But Ray was very much like that. So people want to spend time with the leader. Yep. The leader's battery is being drained and the leader's like, I'm counting the minutes to when I can go home and respond to email or just read a book or yes. something. Yes. And you and the battery can recharge. It doesn't take a terribly long time. Right. And then you go get it again. 
it's so interesting how people thought of like introversion as like a disease as opposed to a superpower. It's it almost, kind of is, yeah. It is a superpower. Yeah. It's people stigmatized it as like this person's a bit of an introvert. Yep. Uh oh. Yep. Yep. But it's not. It's not. It's you not. build up that energy. It gives you reflection time. Yep. Introverts are more thoughtful generally. They have. They, are. T- they like spend time and think something through. And I don't think it's a secret that so many of the most successful people in Silicon Valley. Are introverts. Larry yep. Page. Elon's so actually very introverted. So many of them. Evan Williams, very introverted. Mm, David Sachs, yeah, I mean, somewhere in between. Bill Gates. Bill Gates kind of introverted, but he also liked debating and interacting with people. Yeah. He was kind of <laughs> in between. Did you ever meet Bill in that era? I've never met Bill ever. Oh, really? No. And yeah. I worship the guy. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of lessons there, too. Hiring is not as easy as just putting an ad on some message board somewhere and hoping for the best. No, that's not how you do it. That's not how you do it right in 2019. No, you want to use LinkedIn. If you're growing your business, you need to reach the right candidates at the right time. And 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make those connections and learn and grow as professionals. You know that. They also go there. Sometimes they want to discover new job opportunities. In fact, a new hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Somebody just got hired on LinkedIn. That's right. And here is my CMO, Presh, who we just upgraded to an associate. He's in the game. And here he is posting a job for us, a customer success person, manager in Toronto. Here's the job function, a little business development, a little customer service. He takes our uh, nice little job description, pops it in there. Look at that WYSIWYG editor. looks great. Does a preview of the job, and he's ready to go. But that's not all he's going to do here. He's going to pick that he wants them to have customer service experience for two years. And he's going to post that job, and it's going to show that job to the right people at the right time. He did that in seconds. And here's the good news. I'm going to give you $50 right now, a 50, a 50 from your boy, J. Cal. Go to LinkedIn.com slash twist, LinkedIn.com slash twist, and get that 50 right now. Terms and conditions, of course, apply because it's 50 bucks. So go ahead and get it, LinkedIn.com slash twist. And thank you to LinkedIn for supporting the show. I do appreciate it. Let's get back to this amazing episode. What I like about Bill Gates is the second act. I mean, how many people have amazing. a second act like that? Wow. And I also admire you picked the right person to take over the company. I think he picked a hell of a person. That's not easy to do and give them the room. Barmer or Satya? Satya. Yeah. Barmer, I think, did a good job making sure that the place didn't collapse when Bill left. I mean, you can criticize him, but that's a real carry moment when somebody with that shadow, like Steve Jobs, or it's, I think the playbook might be emerging that your number two operations lieutenant is the best person to take over until you find the innovator. So you think like, if you compare Bomber and Tim Cook, they were both just like operational sales machines. Yeah. Neither of them were making the world's greatest product. I, I actually think, that if, well, in tech, there really were no successful su- successions or in any successions for, for a long time. Yeah. Last few years, though, I think Dara has done a nice job at Uber. I think Satya has done an amazing job. I think, I forgot his name, but I really like the guy who's running Adobe is doing a fantastic job. Well, actually, um, if you think yeah, Adobe and then uh, obviously Google with yeah, Sundar. Yeah. It's it's interesting what's going on. People are being much more thoughtful who about is the? Uh, yeah, I wonder who the Adobe, put the Adobe CEO in the uh, chat room. Oh, no Narayan, uh, Narayan is his last name. Is he Indian by chance? Yeah. You know what? I just 
had a epiphany. The four people we just mentioned are Indian. Are all Indian? Dara is not. He's from. Oh no, Dara is um, Middle Eastern descent. What is he? Is he Egyptian? Persian. Per- oh, he's Persian. He's Iranian. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's really interesting. As I a just trend. think I just think this this idea of succession planning. It used to be that you'd get the the inter- in the nineties is the way it worked. You remember this? You have the quirky introverted founder, and then the match them with this salesperson, basically. Yeah, Eric Schmidt would Whatever, be the classic yeah. example and, uh, of like adult supervision. Adult supervision, and then. It kind of worked. And then over time, people were looking at the business and said, well, Steve Jobs is doing pretty well. And they, you yeah. know, they, that whole story. And Ellison did pretty well. And so many of these founders did so well. And they're like, well, enough of that. We're going to stick with a quirky introverted founder yeah. and surround the founder. That's worked for a long time. And that was kind of phase two. I think phase three is emerging where, well, they're figuring out there is sort of that next chapter. And the next chapter isn't Eric Schmidt all the time. It's more like Dara and Satya. They're product people. Um, yeah, actually, now that you think about it, like a formalized product person who knows operations, and you've talked about this a lot, I think knowing how to operate every single part of the business efficiently is critical during that scale period and during the sustain period. You have to be excellent at everything, don't you? I've given up on that, actually. Really? I actually give Not up. you, the company, I'm saying. Oh, yeah. the, com- the To scale, you have to be good at m- – you have to be at least good at everything. Good or excellent. You have to be excellent at a couple of things. If, you, if any one part of HubSpot gets bad, the whole machine just kind of like grinds to a to – a, it slows way down. There needs to be a level of uh, basic competence at each function. And you need to level – it's not even leveling up. It's a leveling different as you get bigger. How do you, as the found uh, as the founder CEO now, watch out for those like potholes and know, oh my God, what's your early warning system that something could come off? And now that the cars, you know, like listen, this is like a, a big ship now. It's a battleship, yeah. you know. Like it's not easy to turn. We're not perfect. Easy at, to sink. We're, we're by no means perfect at yeah. it. Uh, one thing we culturally we're okay when somebody makes mistakes. We make a lot of them actually. We're not okay if we make the same mistake twice. And so we have a, uh, it's a little hack. There's a 100-page PowerPoint deck that comes out once a month. And you can point at each slide in the PowerPoint deck and say, oh, I remember why that's in here. We made a mistake in 2013 Uh. around hiring and support. We fell behind in hiring support. And that was a problem because people had to wait too long in support. Then they hung up and they called their sales rep. So we missed our MPS numbers and we missed our sales numbers. Oh, wow. Stuff like that. Yeah, so you have this like Bible yes, now, kind of yeah, that has the data. Institutional in it. knowledge lives in that deck. Wow! And so what we try to do is, okay, we made this mistake, and we say to ourselves, well, what if we knew three months earlier? What could we have known that would have prevented that mistake? Ah, um, what led up to it? Yeah. What were the sequence of events? It's yeah, almost like, if, like the NTSB looking at a crash. Yes. And being like, exactly. let's. Rebuild the plane exactly piece by piece. Yep. Why did sales miss? Yeah, let's look at the the tape and hear what they had to say. It's a little bit flight like that recorder. in a PowerPoint. Yeah. yeah, a little bit like yeah, flight recorder. I love that. And so in that case, like oh, we should have been looking at not just how many people are hiring, but the recruiting pipeline that we have for support, the happiness of the employees in support, how many people are getting transferred out of support because we never, ever, ever in the history of HubSpot, again, want to fall behind on support because it mess- it not only messes support and the customer experience up, it messes the sales You did up. a tweet about this. It was a very good tweet. 2009, like it was all about making an excellent, paraphrasing here, like this absolutely excellent product. 2019, 
It's about the service and yeah. the support and the customer experience. Maybe we could pull that tweet up if we have it somewhere. Um, explain to me what your thinking was there and well, I, how it sh- yeah, changed yeah, over the decade. Changed a lot. Like I remember in business school, one of the professors used to have this mantra like, don't even bother starting your company unless your product's 10 times better than the competition. Right. You have to 10x it. And that's good advice because- well, it was well. That it was, was good advice. It was good advice. Um, the reality is, is it's impossible to do today uh, in the software industry, at Why least, or any kind of hard industry. The truth is, like, it's so much easier to build stuff today. Uh, it is, isn't it? Let's say you're in the software industry. You have Amazon Web Services. You have open source. All the software you buy is as a service. You don't need office space. It's so much cheaper and so much more efficient to right. build something. And it's so hard to get a sustainable long-term product advantage today because some startups on your butt or some big good competitor like Adobe, like Microsoft, these companies don't just roll over and die like they used to. No. They get a new founder type person running that thing and they're on you. So they're competitive. Whew. And so they can catch up. So long-term sustainable competitive uh, advantage of the products that is really hard. It seems to me that the companies are really successful today are the ones that are really obsessed not about that product market experience, uh, product market fit, but it's more like that experience market fit. How do you transform that customer experience? And so many of the winners today are doing just that. Here's the, uh, here's the tweet. Oh, if you want to follow uh, B. Halligan, uh, he's on the Twitter and he's verified. Uh, congratulations on that. 2009, your product needs to be 10 times better than your competition. 2019... Your customer experience needs to be 10 times better than the competition. It's so true. If you look yes. at Superhuman, we were lucky enough to invest in that. It's Ooh, doing it's really well. It, do you use it? I don't. You know, and I know yeah. a lot of people that do. Yeah, it's a little controversial in my industry. Is it why? I'm well, curious. it's got tracking that stuff is doing. Oh, the tracking know? stuff, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about tracking email? Is that like a big no-no? I, I don't, it's gray. It's, it's gray. Little, yes. We should just have a standard for it. Like on iMessage. You can go in and say, put read receipts. Yes. You can now, do that in an email. You can do that in an email. I can do that. It's not up front. If I send you an email, I can put a read receipt on there. So I don't have a big issue with knowing if you open it. Where I have a bit of an issue is knowing where you are when you open it. That's a little problematic. That's yes. a little is creepy. Does Superhuman do that? Ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, weird stuff like that. You can imagine yes. where that could go. I haven't seen it go that way, but it's that's over the grave for me. Yeah, that's why I use a tracker, and I all of my persona is a 15-year-old girl in Japan, <laughs> and I just use a Japanese IP address, and people are like, oh, how's Tokyo? And I'm like, oh, you creepy mofo. <laughs> I'm actually at my office in San Francisco. Why are you? How do you get the experience? What have you learned about building great experience? Because obviously, you learned a lot about building a product by watching and studying people at, from the church of Rayazi. Now you seem to think, hey, you, you win based upon that full experience. Everybody's going to make a, gr- a good or great product. Hard to get ahead, as you said. What about that service around it? In, in fact, if you think of the history of Hotspot, we're in kind of our second act. The first act was an arbitrage opportunity we saw on the internet. It's like instead of renting space in someone's radio show or renting space in someone's TV show or renting space in a magazine or newspaper, just create your own damn radio show, your own damn TV show. Be a show. content creator. Exactly. And yes. rent the space to yourself. Right. And that was the basis behind Inbound. Start a goddamn blog. Exactly. Uh, podcasts, whatever. Whatever. Um, and it worked remarkably well, still works remarkably well. You are a great example of that, by the way. Um, you didn't have to spend 
tens of millions of dollars buying no. a TV studio no. and all kinds of stuff. Literally, I have an unlimited budget, and the most I can spend is $100,000 on all the hardware we have here. You yes. lit in, in the early days, you would be talking about a half million dollars to build a studio, a million dollars 10 yep. years ago. Yep. You literally can't spend it. You you can't buy a $5,000 camera anymore. Not only anymore. that, you didn't have to buy the frequency to have your own TV station. <laughs> no, you did not need an antenna. You just needed the yes. internet connection. It is crazy when you yes, think about it's it. it's crazy. And... Uh, in a, in a lot of ways, it's very good. Um, and that until, was her. Until we, it's we, not. <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's not. Um, yeah. But um, we'll rebalance. The, uh, I mean, the arbitrage opportunity was really big back then. Like any B2B, boring, exciting B2C, any company at all, start a podcast, start a blog, start a whatever, and start to really pull people in from Google and social in a whole new way. It's still there. I think the new arbitrage opportunity is more just being completely obsessive about creating an awesome end-to-end experience. And I just think about myself and all these consumer brands I use. Like I come home from work in a lift and then I get home and I turn on Spotify and I'm yeah. having a good time. Then I open the box uh, of toys I get from Chewy.com for my yeah. dog. And then I order dinner from DoorDash and then I watch a Netflix movie and then I ride on my Peloton. Like I just use all these new technologies and inventions none of them are particularly novel technologies right they're novel business models they're great products and they create a new much better customer experience yes. that just seems to be the story of the last several years you could argue peloton whatever some of these ipos haven't been as successful but i think when you whatever. look back five years from now on this era there's a whole new set of interesting big multi-billion dollar companies created that just rethought uh the customer experience around a boring old products. Yeah, I mean, Peloton is life-changing. I have the treadmill I was on it this morning, and it is, when if you just think about the most beautiful, perfect treadmill, yes. it's that. Then you're like, and we put a TV on it, and think about having the most awesome instructor yeah. available, and then have 20 of the most awesome instructors available, and the most amazing uh, gamification. Yeah, you're and competing most, with other people. It's amazing. It's just everything is great about it. Yep. And the install down to the installation and the ordering. Tesla, the same thing. You order a Tesla, it's easy. You go online. You I would order. argue none of that is a breakthrough technology product thing. It's knitting it all together yes. almost perfectly and then creating a great brand. You thinking about going to the gym today? You thinking about finding parking? You thinking about waiting for a weight machine? You thinking about the crowds? You thinking about the cost? You thinking about the drive time? And then you think, you know what? I'm gonna Netflix and chill. Screw it. I'll skip the gym. I'll go tomorrow. That's what happened to me for a long time. Then I got the tonal system. I mounted it on the wall. Beautiful screen. And I got to do over 200 exercises. And I'm bringing the cannons back. It has been amazing for me. Life-changing product. You can, in 20, 30 minutes, get the workout that would have taken an hour and a half, plus an hour of travel time, plus paying for parking, all this nonsense. And the reason it's so efficient is because it sets the weights automatically for you. It learns about your body. I've been using this thing, and it saves me so much time. The workouts are great. It's all these great video instructors, and it's super affordable. It's so much cheaper than the other solutions. I bought another solution. I don't want to mention the name, but another kind of like pulley system with chains and all this other nonsense. I haven't touched it. It's getting dust. I'm going to donate it to like the local fire department or something because the tonal is so much better. So find out why Men's Health called the tonal the smartest home gym you've ever seen. And you can try it risk-free for 30 days. Whenever you see that risk-free on one of these big ticket items that you have to install, 
you know something is up. It means they're super confident you're going to love it. So visit T-O-N-A-L.com, Tonal, T-O-N-A-L.com to learn more. And I want you to use the promo code TWIST and they'll give you 100 bucks off of all those uh, smart accessories. That's Tonal, T-O-N-A-L.com. Use the promo code TWIST. The AI coach, the sleek world-class design, all of it is beautiful, and I'm in love with it. I had the founder on the podcast back in 2018, and I've been so impressed with his product. Uh, I bought one, and I love it. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had that experience with JetBlue or Virgin. Yep. Those two airlines, With if you're in the Northeast Corridor, like it was terrible to fly. Yes. And both of those infected New York and, and Boston in a way that made it like, Oh my God, yes. I, I'm going to enjoy going to the airport. Yes. Yes. It, it is fabulous. And when you think about the IPOs, it's not so concerning now that the IPO market, I think for salty old dogs like us, like it's kind of refreshing that the market isn't bonkers and yeah. overheated, isn't yes. it? Yeah, I think it's reasonable. My thing on the IPOs, like some of these companies are coming or talking about coming are losing money. I'm comfortable with companies losing money because you've got a J, a J curve you go through. So long as it, you, at some point you can get to the bottom of that lost J curve and you can see your way to get profits. And so long as you can look at the economics on a unit basis yeah. and figure out that it's profitable, like, go, 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 go. So yeah. I, I think I, every, you know, the world just there's a pendulum that shifts. I think that the pendulum is too positive. I think it's too negative. I think it'll come back to the middle on all these new yeah. companies. Yeah, and when you have these high-profile Theranos and WeWork as like bookends for yes. this era, yes, they're troubling. But we all in the industry saw it coming a mile away. Like, any, I mean, WeWork had perfect product market fit, but it doesn't take a genius to realize it's not a defensible business. No, I don't know what their unit economics look like, but I would imagine at the valuation that I don't know what the valuation was on this current deal that uh, SoftBank did the last three, I think. <laughs> yeah, but they just did another one. I think it's like announcing it today. They're reorganizing it. Yeah, it's yes. going to be bonkers. Um, I don't know what the valuation is, but I bet on a unit basis that thing can be very, very profitable. And that five, ten years from now, we're going to look back at this era and like, wow, that was a wow. Is that weird? But I bet it's a real in a large business once they get if they hire a Dara. They did it, Dara. Um, yeah. It's 47. They, they peaked at 47 billion. Then they went today. I think it's down to 2 billion. Yeah. And I think, I think they'll hit bottom and they'll come back up. But there should be a WeWork. That thing should exist. It should absolutely exist. Yes. What, what have you added to HubSpot in the last couple of years? Because I know that you're a, a big fan of focus, mm -hmm. not biting off more than you can chew, but you now have this incredible foundation. You had to add pieces to it. So. I, and I know a lot of people copied you. I think a lot of the big companies now offer marketing services yep. kind of in their bundle. What have you added to your bundle? And how do you think about building out the HubSpot platform? Because you added customer support like, you know, a Zendesk or a Salesforce kind of has that built in now, right? Yep. You also added that? We did. What do you call it? Or uh, is it just all part of HubSpot? It's called Marketing Hub, Sales Hub, Service Hub. The names aren't particularly interesting. I, the reason we do this is like that arbitrage opportunity move from just kind of content marketing, inbound marketing to this experience. We're like, we need to build a platform to help people take advantage of that arbitrage opportunity. Yeah. So we move from marketing into sales into service. And what I'm noticing about the way people buy, they definitely will mix and match between the systems. But more often than not, it's a little bit like if you're an Apple person. Yeah and you're going to buy a new phone, you're not going to buy a Sam an Android phone. You're just no, not going to do it. It no. just makes your head hurt. Kind of happening, it, it, you know, the people are becoming a Salesforce shop or a HubSpot shop. Ah, we see a lot of that. And they pick us as a platform, and then they plug all their SurveyMonkey, Eventbrite, all their other stuff into HubSpot or into Salesforce. And both are very good platforms. They're different, 
But I'm kind of seeing that as a trend. Is you're either kind of an Apple or a Microsoft person. That's interesting. In it's literally we've gone from the great unbundling to bundling a back. little bit. Yeah, it's more picking a hub and a platform, and then plug all your other stuff in, so you can create a good experience for your customers. Because the other thing we notice is more and more people. Like you look at a normal company with like 50 employees. Just in their front office, they'll have 30 different applications they use. I mean, just yeah. the proliferation of applications has been crazy. And the ability to plug those into one system and have everything work uh, together mm. is super powerful. Yeah, that seems to be... So there is an unbundling bundling. but It, it was sort of... Everything was bundled. Then it was completely unbundled. Now it's like this nice middle ground where you pick a hub and plug everything in. It was actually unbundled. Then Microsoft bundled it all, yeah. created Office. Yes. Then it unbundled. Then you had Google Docs. Now you have Airtable, mm -hmm. Zoho, and I guess a Evernote, Dropbox, Ever Dropbox unbundled. Yeah. And Slack seems to be the hub of everything now for some corporations. What's yeah. your take on the Slack in our world is the hub is either HubSpot or Salesforce. So and some people yes. mix it in the integration because the works. customers in there. Yeah, and the, and the integration works great. But I'm just seeing the trend is like people pick a hub. Do you think I'm, I'm you'll add like a Slack like feature? Do you think that becomes commoditized no. and is added to everything? We're gonna we integrate with Slack in a really slick way, so you can control HubSpot through Slack. You can get notified through Slack. Slack is a is a force, and and we're building to them. They've got a lot of leverage out there. Yeah, it seems to me that's You're like nice underestimating. But the other thing I worry about with Slack is back in the day, you'd say, oh, I'm going to put a bullseye on Microsoft and compete with them. And Microsoft kind of roll over for a while. Yeah. Right. Microsoft's like, hell no. We're building team. We're giving it away. Well, they they're... bought Yammer. Then they added team. So they took two swings at the back. And and they're serious about it. And they're hard to compete with. They yeah. used, to, used, to be, used to be these old, stodgy tech companies. The founders get rich. They get tired. And they just roll over. It's not that way anymore. No. They, how do you keep your company from becoming complacent? How do you keep yourself from becoming complacent? I know that you were like really <clears throat> didn't even want to talk about like the, the wolf guitar thing. It's like, oh, you know, because you're not an ostentatious guy. That Giving a $1.6 million donation for a guy like you is incredibly generous, but you can afford it. And the guitar was just the, the proxy for it. But how do you keep yourself sharp and coming to work every day? And how do you know if it's time for you not to be that guy or gal yeah. in the in the seat? Because you seem like you still got a lot of energy. I'm, I'm to go. very mo still. I'm working as hard and as energized now as I've been. I, Darmesh is the same. Uh, well, I just kind of feel like we've built something that's pretty cool, and I'm super proud of it. But it feels like there's something that could have far bigger impact on far more people's lives. So it just still feels really early in our development. It totally is early, um, yeah. And there's a big market out there. And the customers who use us, like, really weave the go-to-market together, they just love us. And what's motivating for me is when I get meet a customer and they, like, hug you and say, oh, my God, you changed my career. You changed our company. Like, that is motivating. So we've got a mission we got a mission that still really resonates loudly in my head. What's the? Is there a mission statement? We want to help millions of companies grow better, not just grow faster, but grow better in a uh, non-quality of revenue. Way. Yeah, without being douchey. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll entitle the episode now. <laughs> no, don't grow do without being douchey. Don't. Do no. that. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought about that, like taking the funniest moment from it, like naming uh, the the show that. Um, are you acquisitive? Have you bought companies? We bought some little tiny stuff. Um, we have. We're a little bit more like Apple was in the day, where 
you know, one of our core competitive advantages is our product. We have a huge UX investment. The product's really easy and slick. Not Apple slick, but pretty darn slick. So a mere mortal can get in there and do really powerful stuff. And if you compare us with a lot of our competitors, they're grown through acquisitions. So they have multiple different UIs they're trying to weave together, multiple databases in the back end they're trying to synchronize. We're a little bit like Apple versus, you know, Microsoft back in the day. And so we've been nervous about messing up that core competitive advantage. Um, But we're looking. We have we have we have some feelers out there looking. We do have the market cap now to be able to do do. something like that. We have a billion dollars in the bank. We have the market cap. You have a billion in cash in the bank. So was that like a secondary offering? Yeah, exactly. Ah, so you just piled. That's a smart thing to do. You know, back in the day, I remember when I was a journalist. Double click. I was talking to Kevin Ryan, and double click didn't die in 1999, 2000. Because they had a lot of cash. Because they did a secondary. I see. Three, two or three months before. That's another person, Kevin Ryan, we got to get back on the pod, um, before the market crashed. And then they were left there, and they had this like huge office space, and they're like, oh, my God, we got to sublet this thing in New York. And it was like a whole, huge disaster. Everybody else went out of business because of their leases. I see. And he was just sitting there on like $2 billion in cash. He's yeah. like, yeah, we'll be fine. We, we can sublet it, whatever. And, and they survived. And- I don't feel like people don't talk about that company much, but that's a major piece of the Google puzzle that really worked. Yeah, I, who who bought it in between? Like an ad agency bought oh, it. Oh, I thought Microsoft? it was directly to Google. I didn't know that. Yeah, there was somebody who had bought DoubleClick in between. I didn't know and that. And that all their display advertising works. That hey, what's it like now? You hired a lot of Gen Xers. Yep. And now you're like 13 years later. You're hiring everybody. We millennials, and now everybody. even Gen Z people yes. coming in. What's it like managing these different generations and as you scale and the difference between like if there is any between hiring and building teams now for you versus I think back the, in the day? I think the difference today is the supply and demand is so far out of whack. I mean, if you want to hire, doesn't matter if they're millennial or Z or X or boomer, the supply and demand is way out of whack for, for talent in Boston and mm. San Francisco where if you're a developer and you want a job in San Francisco, well, you can start your own company. It's gotten easier. I can go to Jason, get yeah. some money, and yeah. giddy up. There's 100. Let's go. Uh, there's tons of startups already out there that Jason and other people have funded. There's, uh, You can go to go to work for any number of pre-IPO awesome companies, like Segment CEO is on yeah. here. That would be a good one to go to work for. Yeah. Or go to work for like an awesome public one, uh, mm-hmm. even like Google or Slack, you name it. So much, so little supply for so much demand for that yeah. talent. So I think that's the difference, and that combined with the glass door, uh, glass door, and comparably, has changed things a lot. Where employers used to kind of care what employees thought, but today, in order to build an employment flywheel, you need to you need to have a culture that's kind of like a product culture that's so powerful that pulls the employees in, delights them, and keeps that word of mouth going. Or it's hard to scale a company. Really hard to scale a company if well, if if you don't take great care of your employees. With uh, that's what's changed too. People used to work like in our, back in the day in the nineties. People worked for a company for a long time. But even if they switch, there was no glass door. Uh, yeah, there was no recourse if your boss was a jerk, yeah. mid level manager. Culture suck wasn't it great. It was like a job. Suck it up. Yeah, suck it now up. Now you're lucky are, you got a job. There was that attitude. Well, they, I mean, if you think about it, in the nineties, unemployment. We, had, we were at ten twenty percent unemployment, yeah. and then. Out of college, what was it, 30, 40% yeah, it out of college? Bad. It was bad in the 90s. Yep. Nobody's lived through that in a long time. That's the change I see. It's just, I think 
you see it that companies today are really taking culture quite seriously and taking their employment brand quite seriously and really trying to create not just a great customer experience, but an awesome employee experience. I'll wrap up with this. How do you create a culture that's strong but not entitled? Because there seems to be this entitlement culture here in San Francisco, unlimited vacation, unlimited kind bars, food, everything's like seems so uh, buying the employees off. As opposed to, you know, it, it was an escalation that Google and Facebook really yeah. got into with the massages and the dry cleaning. Yep. I'm like, I, I don't what business. I mean, who wants their employer, employee, employer involved in massages and dry cleaning? It seems really <laughs> weird to me. Maybe I'm old now, but I don't want my employer getting me massages and doing my dry cleaning. I, I can take care of those things myself. I, I guess my take on it, like we have, we don't have massages or dry cleaning, but we have some free of- food. Uh, we don't even have free food. Uh, we have free snacks, snacks and we have unlimited vacation and we have a very employee centric culture. We do. Yeah. And I would say that that's not what has aided us. What what I think people give a crap about is do they buy the mission? If they don't buy your mission, you are screwed. They have yeah. to really buy into your mission. And they like to they want to buy into you as a leader and they want to mm. buy into your boss. And so you can have all those trappings. Like if you're an entrepreneur starting a company, yeah, you can have your free coffee and the best coffee and the free lunch and all that stuff. That looks from the outside like what's important, but the really important thing isn't that crap. It's what's your mission? Do they buy into you as a leader? Do they like their boss? That's the kind of stuff that matters today. Right. So you have to have effective management, yeah. but not cantankerous or yeah. not fun to work for. It's a balance. Yeah. And you have to communicate. Would you do the Friday thing? Every Friday? We don't do the Friday thing, but we have- How do you communicate with we, everybody? <laughs> we have uh, a very highly produced and very high quality company meeting. And then we have really? the world's most active wiki. What What is that? <laughs> It's the we, world's most active. It's the, it, it's the internal wiki. It's so active and so engaging and so interesting. And from the very first day of HubSpot, we were like, the wiki was the center of gravity on everything. And so, so is it on the wiki? If it's is not like, on the wiki, it doesn't. It didn't exist. So every really? board meeting, we take the notes and the slides and we put it on the wiki. Every management wow. team meeting, notes, slides, put it on the wiki, all that kind of stuff. And people and the go truth, in and edit. The truth is... I don't know what percentage of the employees look at. I'm going to guess 10, 15%. But those are the people who really care about it and are the connectors and the and the water ah. cooler. And they can go very deep and ask questions and whatnot. So that has worked. That's worked really is well. Is it on for like us. the Wikimedia software? Like the, uh, no, it's on, it's on Confluence Atlassian software. Yeah. I mean, very... by the way, Atlassian is my favorite tech company these days. So they just do everything right. It's amazing. It's an amazing company. And started in Australia. Australia of all I'll tell places. you one other thing. You're in this uh, venture space. I think what's happening outside of the United States is really interesting. In the United States for a while, there was this perception that you could only you could start a, uh, a consumer company or an enterprise software company. Anyone who dared to say that you would be in selling to small or medium sized or growth businesses, you're just screwed. There was just yeah. no way. You Are you can't crazy? Make money yeah. But you look at what's going on outside the United States. It lasts in mostly small medium-sized business moving up now zero is a really interesting company in uh, new zealand yes uh canva is also out there. of sydney yeah but you look at zendesk who's now very much an enterprise software company but they started an smb out of 
Denmark. Denmark. I think yep. I've got that right. HubSpot started in Boston. Yep. Shopify started in Ottawa. Yep. So this this whole wave of SMB companies that are getting large with a whole new playbook. Spotify. Almost. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, Shopify. Shopify. It all big. happened outside of Silicon Valley because there's such a bias against it. I think that's kind of interesting. That is fascinating. Story. And all of us had to figure out kind of a new novel way to get to market in this part of the market. And we weren't overwhelmed by the anti-SMB uh, uh, message. And it's fascinating what's going on. Now Silicon Valley's gotten excited about SMB. It's yeah. starting to happen out here. But uh, Well, I mean, the whole model now is bottom-up. Yes. You know, infect the organ, infect three or four divisions. Yeah. You know, if it's a big company or just grow with the company from two or three people. I mean, our advertising on This Week in Startups sold out like four times this year. Oh, good for I you. think exactly for this reason, and we've sort of started to lock in. You guys have supported many times, so thank you for that. We're big on trying to get them early. So we give well, a 90% discount to your company. I know. Thank we you. We just want to... Well, a lot of them won't make it, but some of them are going to be huge. Well, I remember talking to Darmesh about it. I was like, you know, you guys charge – back then, I think you were charging based on the size of the database. Database. And I was like – It's too expensive for It's for too expensive. So, and he was like, we got it. And he just – he came back to me. He's yep. like, just 90% off. Just and we do it for – yeah, it everybody. works. Uh, and if you want to get uh, that HubSpot startup program, go to HubSpot.com slash startups slash twist. Ooh. All right, listen, Brian. Congratulations! Thank uh, thanks for being so candid and awesome on the pod. Uh, it's great to when the leader is honest about all this great stuff they're working on. I'm sorry if your battery got drained, but hopefully not too much. <laughs> uh, and just really, congratulations and um, congratulations joke. to you. You guys have created yeah. uh, something very special out here. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. Um, we, when I started angel investing ten years ago. I contacted Darmesh because he was also starting to angel invest and we had done a couple of companies together and he would host open angel forum for me when I would come to Boston. I and I would just say, get six companies together and 20 investors because there were only like maybe a dozen investors. And I see you had Joe Caruso yep. um, <laughs> and Mike Volpe, yep. uh, all these incredible, uh, you know, small investors who were putting 25K checks and Gary Vaynerchuk was in there. No, he didn't invest in that. Oh, okay. He was he was selling wine back when we were starting HubSpot. It was actually he really <laughs> predicted the D to C movement. He did, and he was I think in the first ten guests on the podcast, first twenty for sure. And now he's doing empathy wines direct to consumer, I know he is. and it's crushing. I, I it. love what he's doing with it. All right, listen, everybody, follow uh, Brian Halligan on the Twitter. B Halligan, if you haven't used HubSpot, I gave you the URL. Get a ninety percent off HubSpot.com slash twist slash startups slash twist. And if you're looking for a job and you want to be part of a great culture with unlimited vacation, but you have to be responsible with that unlimited yeah. vacation. You ever? What's the crazy story of somebody trying to abuse it? You must have one. You can anonymize it. No, 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 no. Nobody's I, ever tried. So when we, so we were like the first company on the planet to do the unlimited vacation. Can I tell you how it all started? Please, because this everyone is the does thing. it. I ha we one out of five people asked me to do this. I'm like, we no, not, on we, principle. I actually, we weren't the first in many things. I think we're the first to do this. And here's how it happened. Oh my god, um, it's my nightmare. Patrick Fitzsimmons was our first developer. Terrific kid. And we worked on a project the whole weekend from like Friday afternoon to Sunday night, back and forth. I was testing his software, going yeah, back yeah. and forth. He's terrific. Good Crank stuff. through code. Startup. And then on Thursday, I saw him in the office and I said, wow, the code looks great. And like, wow, it's just yeah. awesome. Thank you. And he, and he handed me at the time, handed me my his vacation form. And He's he on day 12 now of straight working. And, and, and he wants to take next Friday off because I knew his girlfriend was down in Philadelphia. And he's like, well, I want to take next Friday off. And I'm signing it. I'm like, 
wait, shouldn't you give me the credit form for last weekend? Yeah. Uh, and at that point, it's like, Darmesh, we let's just cancel. Vacation's just, for better or worse, vacation has changed. Let's stop tracking it. And, and the argument we had was, well, are people going to abuse it? They're going to take like a bunch of time off, then they're going to quit. I honestly haven't had one example of mm. someone abusing it. That's great. I know. Yeah. I think people. I think if you trust people, they reward that trust. Even at scale, we get three thousand people. I haven't heard one even anecdote of all oh, managers this must have very clear goals. Yeah, and they know, got a goal. like, hey, I have very clear goals. Therefore, yes. I can't take off three weeks. No. It's just not possible. You can. Like, you get something really big going on. Of course you can. But uh, everyone's got a goal. Everyone's on a team. You don't want to let your team down. So yeah. the truth is, it that has oh, some of this stuff doesn't work. That has worked. What about the in-office versus work-from-home debate, <clears throat> nonstop debate? We are debating it inside of HubSpot. I'm At heavy on work-from-home because I work from home a lot. Uh, uh, so you like it. I love it. Uh, part, some parts of HubSpot are like, yes, let's do it. Other parts of HubSpot are like, hell no. Does it so break down by department it. sales yes. versus? Product, the engineers don't want to don't do it. Uh, they don't want to work from home. They like everyone together. Yeah, um, talking, grinding. Yes, yes, but the truth is, they don't talk that much around Slack, and you know, it's like, well, yeah. can't you do that remotely? Anyway, we are we are ourselves a microcosm of that debate in society. Huh? Here it is. Great managers love the idea of remote work. Great micromanagers hate the idea of remote workers. Yeah, I think it depends on the company that was, and and the function, right? I guess. I think. It, I think. Well, where's the future? Ten years from now, it's got to be everyone's remote. It's got to be think so but i wonder if on a mental health basis going somewhere and working with people because that's what i hear of the, the isolation amongst journalists and writers is that they get a little bonkers working at home too much and not seeing other people then you stop taking showers and the, just the personal hygiene of it all there's no showers <laughs> no everybody's in their pajamas all day i just think there's Listen, something about having a cup I'm of pro coffee. pajama i'm pro pajama You're pro <laughs> I, as far as i'm concerned you get up you take a shower you put some pants on you go to work. I'm pro pajama. I'm not. <laughs> Anybody who works for me, I you need to put a pair of pants on. All proper right. pants, okay? Right. And if you come to work No shorts? You know what? In the LA, I I let people wear shorts and sandals to work. Yeah. From like spring until summer, or whatever. And man, I was a hero. This is ten years ago, but people loved <laughs> being able to come to work in shorts. I thought it was ridiculous. Like, what are we doing here? But I'm old now. Like, what my opinion doesn't really matter that much. We're getting old. Go with the pajamas. Touch of people, gray. People will be psyched if you got pro pajama here. Really? Yeah. All right, pajama Fridays. I'm in. <laughs> touch it. See, we got the touch of gray here. See? I, a little I reference. A, there. I don't have a touch of gray. I'm all gray. Yeah. All right. Well. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for coming on the pod. We'll see you next year. Get me on again. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.